You're listening to the EFC Podcast. Daryl Dash has been a pastor for over 25 years, mostly with established churches. It was during a recent church planting experience, though, when Daryl began to question some of the same old, same old ways of doing ministry, thus began a search for a new way to help people grow spiritually. In his new book, How to Grow, Applying the Gospel to All of Your Life, Daryl taps into some of the science behind establishing good habits in our lives in general to suggest a new way to think about spiritual growth. My name is Kieran Stiller from Faith Today magazine, and today we welcome Daryl Dash to the podcast. Hey, Daryl. Hi, Karen. Good to talk to you. Yeah, I'm so glad. So tell us what you learned about forming habits that can help us in our spiritual growth. You know, the first thing I learned is uh, really the importance of habits. So, uh, I mean, other books have talked about this, but we live a good chunk of our lives um, by habit. So really, if we're going to grow spiritually, we need to figure out what habits help us with growth and even what habits maybe are going to get in the way of growth. So I think the other thing I learned is um, <laughs> I really benefit from my wife being very different from me. And one thing I learned is, there's no one way to develop habits. So what works for me does not work at all for her. And so it was really helpful. And to, you know, as you mentioned, I am a pastor and I have all these theories about habits that work for me. And then to discover actually, no, they don't work for everybody. So kind of had to take a step back and think about, you know, how do, how do people develop habits? Not just one personality kind, yeah, but everybody. And so when when we talk about a habit with a spiritual um, on on our path to spiritual growth, are we talking about, you know, reading the Bible every day at the same time and doing a devotional time every morning at seven? Like, what exactly are we talking about? So, you know, a couple of things. Uh, one of the things I try to hit in the book is that all of life is um, really affected by the gospel. So. You know, I began to explore, you know, I'm a pastor, so one of the, the things that people say about pastors is we're really good at helping people understand how to, you know, apply the Bible to their Sunday life. Yeah. But not really how to apply it to, you know, all of life, Monday to Sunday. So mm. um, we began to think, and my wife was actually a big part of this, you know, how do we apply it physically and emotionally and relationally and in every area of life. So um, for sure, I do cover three habits that are probably more classic spiritual disciplines. But I realize also we need to think about habits that apply to, you know, are we getting enough rest? Are we um, getting enough exercise? Are we steering in our bodies? Are we managing our emotions? So uh, I certainly cover the, the standard disciplines or habits, yeah. but try to expand a bit more as well. Okay, so what are those three core, I think you call them core habits in the book. What are those three? You know, I, I, I was, I kind of had my thoughts going into, you know, what habits are really basic. And I, I benefited from doing a bit of research and discovering they've actually studied what habits correlate with the outcomes that we want. So, you know, they, they figured out, you know, what a Christians want, spiritual maturity, what habits actually lead to that spiritual maturity. And Based on that, they discovered, and I've, I've modified this a little bit, uh, I'll tell you how, but the first one is reading or listening to the Bible. And that's just crucial. I know it's it's one that we often talk about, but it's one that we're actually not doing enough, including sometimes me, I have to admit. 
So that's the first one. The second one is prayer. And the final one is uh, getting involved with the life of a church, not just attending, but actually, you know, being part of a community and being honest in relationship with each other. So how I modified it, one and three were actually found by research. And number two, I just had to throw in there because I think it's important biblically, but prayer. uh, Yeah, prayer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everyone I know who is growing spiritually, I can't think of one person who is an exception to this, everyone I know who's growing spiritually is fairly regular in the word of God, develops some sort of prayer life, and as well is involved with the church. So those are the three core habits that I think actually apply to all of life and spill into every part of life. Yeah. So when we talk about spiritual maturity or just, I guess, spiritual growth, like how do we know it's happening? Like what, what do we actually mean by that? You know, that's a complicated question, much trickier than I realized. So in the book, I provide different stages of spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. The one thing that <laughs> I want to be clear with is I make it sound a whole lot neater than it actually is. So growth is messy. Okay. We don't, although I think the stages are helpful, it's just, you know, they're only so helpful because, um, you know, I, I've noticed a couple things. First, I don't know about you, Karen, but no matter how much I grow, I seem to struggle with the same things over and over again. And one of my friends says, it's almost like you could become a more mature, you know, comparing ourselves to a garden, a more mature tree, Mm. but the same weeds keep growing all around us. So, you know, I think it's important to know what stage we're at, but then also to realize like it's messy. And um, sometimes we just don't feel like we're making progress. Sometimes we actually are farther along than we think we are. Something I've noticed, by the way, is some of the holiest people I know don't think much of themselves. Hmm. I think the closer we get to God, the more we realize how far we have to grow. So ironically, some of the the most spiritual people I know don't really think they're making much progress. Okay, so building on that, because you talk about mentoring other people in the book. So if you are um, one of those people you just described, how would you have the confidence or how would you know it was time to start leading other people if you're kind of thinking you're still a mess? <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll say uh, two things to that. First, I think all we have to be is one step ahead of okay. somebody else. We don't really need to be, you know, I, I keep thinking we have to be so advanced and so mature to begin to influence other people. Uh, I think my, I don't know if I'm allowed to have a favorite chapter of the book, but my favorite is, I think you are. Oh, that's good. My favorite is the end. And I just tell the last chapter, I tell stories of people who were very ordinary, very, I'd say humble and flawed. Mm -hmm. And they had a huge influence on me and other people. And the great thing for me is looking at others. God uses ordinary people to influence others. We don't need to be so spiritually mature. We just need to be available to God. Uh, the other thing I would say is this, God uses our weaknesses. So, um, (laughs) I love the story of a couple and they were trying to mentor another couple. And one day they had this other couple at their house and they began to to fight as married couples do. (laughs) And and so the couple that was being mentored, they kind of were looking at the door and figuring out a way to leave. (laughs) (laughs) And the, the guy, he said, sit down. You need to watch us have this fight so you can learn, you know, how do you have a fight in a godly way? And so they got to the end and repented. And I love that story because I think we need to invite people into our mess. So not just to see the 
where we're put together, but our struggles and to see like, this is where I struggle and I want you to see me struggle and even to see God use my weaknesses. So not, not just a, a varnished version of ourselves, but the real selves. Yeah. You have a quote in the book that I really liked from you. It's your line. You say spiritual maturity isn't about white knuckling it to sainthood. Explain that. Yeah, I think um, what I try to get at in this book is growth is joyful. And I, I grew up with the whole idea that, man, I'd love to be spiritual, but it sounds so miserable. Mm. It sounds like, you know, you have to give up all your fun if you're going to grow. And I'm trying to get at the, I think, a very biblical doctrine that the holiest people are the happiest people. So rather than saying, okay, I've just got to like dig down and try harder and become a miserable, serious person, God invites us into really a, a journey of becoming more alive and flourishing as human beings. So I want to get rid of the whole idea of like, man, we just need to buck, knuckle down and, and be serious. Okay. Actually, I think we need to recover some of the joy of growth and pursue God, not just for uh, the sake of being serious, but actually he wants us to thrive and become who he created us to be in the first place. So is that the real goal of growth then, to become who God intended us to be? Yeah, and uh, so I, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, the thing that sticks out for me is uh, Gollum, yeah. especially in the movies. And, you know, he, he begins as this normal creature and through disordered desires becomes really a monster. And mm -hmm. I think this is a picture and maybe an extreme picture of what sin does to us. Sin corrupts us and actually turns us from, you know, who God created us to be and turns us into really a caricature of ourselves. and. The, re the restoration process is God undoing that, God removing the damage that sin has done to us and returning us to who we were really meant to be. So, no, we don't get there by pursuing, you know, self-actualization. We get there by pursuing God. And as we do so, God makes us more like ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, as we're conformed to the image of Christ, it's almost like we become who Christ would be if he were, you know, Karen Stiller or Daryl Dash. So it's pretty cool to think about. Wow, that I'm going to have to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a new thought, I think. Yeah, that's that is uh, that is a cool way to think about it. Um, you mentioned about uh, the three core habits and being active in a church was one of them. But I know a lot of people who have just actually stopped even attending church, um, and they're they're Christians. I mean, they've been trying to walk the, you know, live the Christian life for years, and then I don't know, something's happened, or they just get worn out, or whatever. So you're saying to be actively involved is important, but what about just showing up? Like, how important is that, and how can we encourage people to come back? Yeah, I I have a lot of sympathy for people who are there. Yeah. So uh, even though I mean you're in ministry as well, I mean you we know how tough it is, and yeah. um, you know as somebody said, it church like marriage. I think it's a bit like marriage. You experience both the highest highs and some of the deepest disappointments. So I think church is hard. Uh, living within a community is hard. So I have a lot of sympathy for people who've given up. What I would say is, uh, it is it is really worth it. It's costly. I don't say that lightly. It's costly. It's inconvenient. It's annoying. And yet, I think on the other side, there is something really beautiful 
so, you know, I'm a church planter. We started a, a new church. What I love to tell people is like, we are, if you came, we are thoroughly unimpressive. Like there is nothing at all. <laughs> oh, come impressive. on. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I mean, there's better preachers, there's better music, there's better everything. We have mm. almost nothing. The one thing we have going for us is God has really been good to us in giving us honest people who are real about their struggles. Mm. And I think there's something compelling about that. We get together and it's almost like, you know, it's inconvenient and we know each other. But in the middle of that, it's really cool to be to have people say, look, this is what I'm struggling with. And somebody else to say, me too. Yeah. And then to pray for each other and support each other and encourage each other. And so I've been in unhealthy churches. It's really cool to be in a, a fairly small church with, you know, not a lot of glitz, but real mm -hmm. people. And it's worth it. Look for a church that is like that, where maybe there's not a lot glitzy about it, but people are real and genuine community is developing. So it's costly, but man, is it ever worth it. Wow. I, I really like that. And that so often uh, at church, we are trying to be glitzy, I think, uh, you know, to attract people. But you're saying that uh, being our true messy selves, and obviously you try to do things well, but you don't have to put on a Vegas show, right? Yeah. So I forget the book that I read it in, but somebody finally got fed up with pretending at church and stood up one day and said, look, I'm so tired of pretending. Here's what I'm really going through and began to list all their struggles and almost too much information. <laughs> <laughs> that can happen. <laughs> yes, it can. And somebody stood up at the end. You know, there was that awkward silence at the end where it's like, you know, he just expected, man, everyone's going to hate me now. And somebody else stood up and said, is that all you got? Wow. <laughs> and they began to share, you know, and this is my story. And it wasn't, I know we can overshare and I'm not advocating that we just like let it all out there. But sure. I think there is an, a sense in which. If, if we develop genuine community, it's, mm -hmm. it's about opening up our lives and saying we are not all together and it's okay. None of us are all together. So one of the things I love about um, historic Christian practice is the confession, which I think is one way of just as often as you do it, you know, we try to do it weekly is just saying we are not okay. Like yeah, yeah. we just need to be honest this week we failed and there's not one of us here who's all together and I think there's something really healthy about admitting that every week. Yeah. Now, um, I have this idea, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, like I'm Anglican, and we do the confession every week. Um, but I wasn't sure that a lot of uh, people in the more like obviously evangelical denominations, although mine is evangelical, do a, a confession, but you do it in your church. Well, Karen, don't tell anybody, but... <laughs> I've been accused of being a closet Anglican. <laughs> oh, so. <laughs> okay, okay, that explains it. But I've been encouraged to see other churches uh, recover that. I think it's actually mm. just great historic liturgy and practice. And I don't know if you're a fan of uh, James K. Smith, but yes. you know he he makes a compelling case that if your church worship doesn't include some elements of, you know, I know liturgy can be a a bit of a scary word, but mm. you know things like the public reading of scripture and confession and um, maybe even reciting a creed or something. He just makes the case that you're missing out. So I think he's he's convinced me. I think he's dead on. Wow, that is really interesting. And and really uh, brings back the message of we're, we're in it together, right, as a community. 
Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I think pastors can do is just cultivate that, that, you know, and again, I'm not advocating for, as somebody said, naked preaching where, Mm -hmm. you know, pastors get up and just, you know, let it all hang out. (laughs) But I think there's a, a really healthy sense in which, you know, if a pastor tells a story, don't make yourself the hero share your struggles in an appropriate way and just create an atmosphere where you're like, you know, I'm a fellow struggler pursuing God along with you, but you know, we're all in this together for sure. Yeah. I I like that. Another thing you, uh, a a word I see in your book a lot is ordinary and you've used it already in this interview and you encourage people to just lead an ordinary Christian life. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. And so I think part of the temptation, maybe it's always been around, but especially right now, I think there is so much extraordinary, you know, whether it's uh, events or, you know, like I I live in Toronto and I just think of tonight I could go out and there's probably about a dozen things that I could do that would just be mind blowing. Mm. And I think we just become enamored with, you know, what can we do that's bigger than life? God actually works not through, usually at least through these extraordinary things, but just by doing ordinary things over and over and over again. So, Mm -hmm. you know, getting together with other believers, you know, sitting under the word of God, encouraging each other, showing honor to each other. All these things are very ordinary. They don't seem like a lot, but they really do shape us in extraordinary ways. So, you know, again, uh, every week, Uh, This is kind of unusual for an evangelical, you know, we're Baptists, so very unusual for us. We have communion together, and it's sort of tiring. Like, some weeks I get there, and it feels like, didn't we just do this last week? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I hear you. And and then I have to remind myself, it's like, I am so hungry. And Mm. there's something about breaking that bread and drinking that cup and, you know, confessing our sins that's so ordinary, and yet at the same time, it shapes me and— I think God uses ordinary things to much more than we realize to shape our souls rather than the, you know, big glitzy events and extraordinary things. Yeah, I like I like that a lot. And you talk also about it, because I, th- I think this is kind of an ordinary thing to do, too. You talk about sharing the gospel through hospitality and how increasingly that seems to be something that Christians are doing or need to consider doing. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So. Um, I, I tell the story in the book of Rosaria Butterfield, who is an atheist professor, and she writes an article basically against a Christian organization and in the newspaper, and she begins to get this hate mail from Christians and also supportive mail from people who really like what she wrote. But then she got one letter from a pastor that she couldn't, you know, she had like a one pile for hate letter or another pile for praise. And she got a letter basically saying, hey, like, interesting article. I'd love to talk to you about it. Would you come over for dinner? And she didn't know what to do with it. She accepted the invitation. She kind of expected the pastor would, you know, present her the gospel and invite her to church. But what he did instead was just begin to offer her friendship. Mm -hmm. And over the course of that friendship, it changed her life. And so much so that she actually eventually became a Christian and now is in ministry herself. And I love that story. She's actually written a book on hospitality recently. I think these days, one of the keys to having influence in a very, you know, secular culture 
is through relationships, just realizing it begins with loving people and opening up our homes and taking the pressure off, not just like, oh, I need to share the gospel, but actually just loving people. And so, yeah, I think hospitality is a, it's a historic practice, but I think it's a key one that we need to recover so that we have an influence in the world. And when, when you talk about uh, habits, Daryl, there is one thing that really um, jumped out at me for obvious reasons, because I'm a bit of a failure at <laughs> some of these things, but you talk about uh, the clean slate policy. And can you explain what that is? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we were, my wife and I were part of um, a program for a while that was trying to teach us new habits. She worked for this company, a really amazing company. And one of the things they taught as they were trying to get us to teach, you know, to learn new habits is, you know, when we fail, we tend to go, oh, I've really failed. Like I may as well go all out now and fail big time. Yeah, it's all over, right? That's right. You know, I've screwed up so badly. Like, you know, it's just, it's, it's done. Yeah. And what they taught was, it's pretty hard. I can't think of one example in which you failed so badly that there's not a clear road back to get back on track. Now, this was not a Christian company. When we began to think about this and, you know, the whole concept of grace, if this is true for a non-Christian company, you begin to think within the Christian gospel, how much more true is that? Like there is no way that we could get so far off track that God's grace isn't enough to get us back on track. So, you know, when we talk about a clean slate policy, it's just, I think, another way of saying we need to get really quickly back to the cross, to the grace that Jesus offers, and remind ourselves there is no way that we've messed up more than what Jesus offers us in terms of grace. So there's no way that we're a bigger sinner than he is a, a savior. So, you know, I think whenever we get off track, we just need to remember, you know what, wipe the slate clean, yeah. I have not failed Jesus so badly that he will not welcome me back because he has more than enough grace, no matter how much we mess up. And in terms of these habits that lead to spiritual growth, if we've, you know, fallen off the uh, the track or we haven't read our Bible for a while, that applies, right? We can say, okay, I'm going to wipe my slate clean and I'm going to start again on Tuesday. Absolutely. And yeah, I think it's just every day to realize it doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It doesn't matter how consistent I am. You know, I get to do this not as so there's an element in which it's a duty, mm-hmm. but there's also a huge element in which it's a delight. So mm-hmm. once in a while, I think, man, like, so, you know, take prayer, for instance. I don't know anybody who doesn't struggle with prayer. I don't care who it is, even the most mature believer. Yeah. And yet when you think about it, God wants to hear from me. You know, the God of the universe is there waiting. And, you know, there's a sense in which we're commanded to do it. It's a duty, but it it's also very delightful in the same way that every relationship is like that, right? So, I mean, there's things in marriage or parenting or whatever that are duties, and yet they're also delights. We, it, we're so privileged that we get to do them. It's easy to forget that. Oh, is it ever? Yeah. So tell me how well, first of all, what is a rule of life and how can it help with all this? You know, uh, one of the things that I think I've really benefited is in talking to different people is realizing how different we are and what works for one person really won't work for somebody else. So there's 
an element in which I don't want to make it sound like we're all different. We're all very similar in some ways, but different needs and different stages of life and different demands. And so what I think we need to do is to think about, you know, how can we take some of these practices and kind of hack ourselves so that it fits our lives. Mm -hmm. So I think a rule of life is about basically taking these practices and for the sake of, you know, our love for Christ and blessing the world, figuring out how it looks in our lives. So, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, a couple of years ago, I began to, I, I just told everyone, you need to start using the Bible project, which is like a reading plan with videos. And so I told a whole bunch of people to do this. Well, my wife came back a couple of months later and said, do you realize you've just ruined my, <laughs> my reading habit? You know, I had imposed something that worked for me on her oh, okay. and it completely destroyed her, her pattern of reading scripture. Mm -hmm. So she basically had to chuck what I told her to do or encourage her to do and go back to what worked for her. So uh, I think a rule of life is just a way of, you know, discovering what works for us and maybe even putting onto paper and then, you know, trying to create our own owner's manual for spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. So a rule of life could include, um, you know, I'm going to read scripture like every morning for 10 minutes, say, or or other practices that you're kind of um, trying to commit to do. And by putting it on paper, I think there's some value in that, right? You're kind of making a contract for yourself, maybe. Yes. And it, doing it with paper uh, and pencil i think pencil's even better than pen oh, okay so that we we modify it and update it recently but yeah it can be anything okay. it can be things like you know getting to bed a certain time when we're going to read scripture mm. and again not like a perfectionistic thing but yeah just as this works for me these are practices i need to pursue for my own good a plan yeah that's right um, in the, you include your own rule of life in the back of the book and you have sort of a big picture, um, preface, I guess, to it. And you write, um, that part of what you want to do or be is to be content to preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. <laughs> yes. Daryl, I have not heard, uh, anyone else say that, um, or maybe not someone with a new Christian book hitting the market. And I, I Tell me about that. There's some, I, I think, pretty big humility uh, implicit in that statement. I've actually uh, shamelessly ripped that off from a guy called, I love this name, Count Zinzendorf. Oh, yeah, that's a good name. Who was part of a Moravian movement. And the reason I picked that up is, you know, if, I, if I'm going to be honest, one of my temptations is achievement. Yeah. Uh, so I tend to overwork and maybe be a little bit too ambitious. Okay. Uh, and, and so I've regularly begun to pray that I would just be content with playing my role hmm. and then being content with being unrecognized and even overlooked and then to die and be completely forgotten. So, uh, the reason that's part of my rule of life isn't because that comes naturally to me. It's actually because I need that. So yeah, I, I desperately need, um, you know, it, you know, another thing <laughs> a few years ago, I prayed, Lord, give me a heart of servanthood because I am not a servant. Okay. And God began to answer prayer. So I hate moving people. And, you know, you know, I, when last time we moved, I hired a moving company because I can't even stand to move myself. <laughs> and I began to pray, Lord, make me a servant. And all of a sudden somebody asked Daryl, can you help me move? And then instead of being irritated, I was like, oh, I think God's answering prayer. Wow. 
Be careful. So in the same way, I know exactly. (laughs) You know, in the same way, I think I'm praying that prayer to, to preach the gospel and then die and be forgotten. Um, just so that my heart would be shaped so that I would end with that. Well, you know what? It jumped out at me. So I probably need to uh, think about why maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's something a lot of us struggle with, isn't it? Especially high achievers. Yeah, no, I I think that's absolutely right. And it's very, um, you know, it's a seductive world out there in terms of media and, you know, publishing even and all that stuff. So it is uh, one needs to keep their ego in check for sure. Oh, and I think, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's ever been a day that people haven't struggled with this, but yeah. I think today is, a spe- you know, I, you go on social media to see who's tagged you and, you know, who's tweeting about you. So, <laughs> man, do we ever need it today? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Daryl, how does uh, how does someone find the book? It is available um, on Amazon uh, or any bookstore should be able to get it for you. If you want more information, you can also go to my website, which is uh, dash house d-a-s-h-h-o-u-s-e.com and you can find out more about it there excellent thanks so much daryl karen it's so good to talk to you thank you for listening to this podcast to listen to more and to subscribe to faith today canada's christian magazine please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today